Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. Today, I feel so blessed and excited and fortunate. I have like automotive royalty on the phone right now with me. Automotive royalty, not on the phone, on my podcast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Miss Hickey, Miss Kim Hickey, I'm bowing to the queen. <laughs> I mean, I like, seriously, you are like the automotive rock star in royalty. So I well, feel like it's not about me, man. You know that. Well, but, yeah. but you do so much for others. And I found out some things about you that I didn't know when I was doing some research for this. And so you truly are like a rock star and jazz star <laughs> because I didn't know you're a trombonist and you, you, you played at Carnegie Hall. I mean, Carnegie Hall, holy cow. I, I being growing up on the East Coast in New York, I've been blessed to be able to be there. But I mean, everybody knows of that, whether you live in New York or anywhere else. So, and, and Dizzy Gillespie and yeah. Dave Valentine, Branford Marsalis. Yeah. What the heck? Jazz well, and salsa? Tell me bananas. about this. I, I don't talk about it much. I mean, periodically there's an interview, a trade magazine interview. And I, and I want to tell that portion of the story because most of us grew up around cars and no, Frank grew up like in Harlem. It was rough. <laughs> and my mother, a Hell's single mom. Kitchen, AKA. Yeah, Hell's Kitchen was Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> but, you know, growing up under sort of a single mom household, my mom, who worked, worked her tail off to, to keep a balance. You know, when you're when you're growing up in the inner city, in the 70s and 80s of New York, well, you know, while Nancy Reagan is saying, just say no, and there's crack <laughs> cocaine on the streets. It's just a crazy time. I have to really go back and and say, God, that's like uh, another life, you know, but my mom always kept us kids busy. And I started, you know, as all young kids in the class, all the good looking kids get the oboes and the violins and all the, <laughs> the big, tall, lanky kids get all the brass instruments. And so it started off that way. OK, I'm going to I'm cracking up right now because I'm picturing being in music class and how <laughs> it was end. exactly like that. And then the poor person that got the tuba, like the, the poor... oh, the sousaphone, right? <laughs> that big, heavy daddy. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, so it was a way for us. You know, I grew up in New York. It was you get me reflecting now because I don't think about it often. And I have, you know, you tap the memory. But I literally grew up in this sort of B-boy culture, uh, graffiti and breakdancing you know, doing that. And then I'd go and, you know, start honing my, my trombone. And as like most kids, you know, you just start in school and, 
And then I got scholarships. The 80s was not a big time for jazz, for kids no, and jazz. No, it was yeah. maybe, yeah, it was like, I hear you. I, I, I'll tell you about the jazz, but so I actually got scholarships to Hebrew School of the Arts, which was a big deal, right? I was 12 or whatever. And, and I'm showing up to this Hebrew School of the Arts. It was a very expensive school, an amazing experience. And here's these kids from Russia and Israel. They're like six years old and they're virtuosos. And I'm like, oh, I better get my act together. <laughs> so I, I took break that. dance for you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually um, got into music and art. You know, I went I went to school with Jennifer Aniston and a bunch of talents, you know, to drama, theater, arts, music, the fame school school. And that's when my world really just went so forward. In fact, I made a decision. It was either football. I played a lot of football, went to football camp and all that, or music. And music was just there. Like it, it felt good and felt good, meaning like you would in the humidity of the summer in the inner city, be in your boxers playing six hours to study the you know three-piece movement or whatever you're working on. So it grew. And so I had opportunity. I did. I did Carnegie Hall actually three times, Avery Fisher, Alice Tully. I played with Tito Puente, Dizzy Gillespie. So let me tell you about Branford Marcellus. So the whole Marcellus family is incredible. They're educators at the at their hearts. You know, the whole family, Delfeo, Winton. Well, back when Bill Cosby, can I say Bill Cosby, by the way? Is that okay? You can say uh, Bill Cosby. Back when Bill Cosby, he would come to the drama department and pluck kids for his show out of the drama department. The Marcellus family was plucking kids for the music side. So, I mean... Back in the day, it wasn't like, oh, Branford Marcellus. This is right around when Branford was with Sting. You know, Sting changed his rhythm section. He got more jazz oriented. And so my life was music. I mean, it truly was. And, and so when I went to go audition for colleges, came, you know, that's the next step. I went to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, audition, University of Miami, Berkeley and Boston. And they, they loved, they, they wanted me but my math was garbage. <laughs> like I didn't go to school, right? I was always playing. And so they said, do community college and we'll give you a full ride, get your math up. And, and I went to community college, uh, Burr Manhattan Community College next to World Trade Center. And I lasted five minutes. I mean, I just wasn't for me. You know, I had to put my horn down. So at the time in New York, it was rough. I had nothing really going, not a large family. And I put my horn down, took a hard left. Next thing I know, I'm in the Persian Gulf doing minesweep operations with the Navy. <laughs> wow. So uh, I was a signalman uh, stationed out of San Diego. It was a great experience. And of course, this is mid to late 80s. Did, you know, did Panama, Guatemala, seeing the world. And so, you know what I say, like a lot of a lot of folks hanging out with us right now know that, like, maybe it sounds cliche, but it's like you truly got to trust your journey. And, you know, we always say, like, comfortable, uncomfortable. You got to push yourself, but just every day, a new day, man. I, I so believe in that. And so some of my experiences have, have certainly been every day, a new day. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just blown away. So you went to the fame high school. Everybody remembers watching that in the soundtrack from oh, uh, so much that, pressure. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. And as a military mom, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for right your on. service. Right we we right have on. a little yeah. bit of kinship with that. And I just, I, yeah. I'm like, okay, so how, cause normally, you know, you speak to somebody that, you know, owns shops and you founded desert car care and you had multiple locations and other things. And 
the journey is usually when you speak to shop owners is they started out tinkering on lawnmowers or their boat motors or doing something with their dad or uncle in the backyard. And I was tinkering <laughs> riding a subway train. That's what I was doing. <laughs> and then, you know, they just love fixing things that they put. It's like, I, I, I've never heard, well, you know, I played at Carnegie Hall and then I, you know. <laughs> it's so crazy. I know. It's so crazy. And then I thought, well, what the hell? Let me fix the car. You know, it's just uh, yeah. amazing. And and I want to get into your background a little bit more, too, on that journey, because it's so important. But like not only so Carnegie Hall and all of that, you have Wrench Nation, right? Wrench Nation TV and radio show and the podcast, and you really care about educating people and, and, you know, bringing them the next step, right? Because you understand more than most people that I interact with that we're a person, we're not a business, the business owner, the leader, all of that is, is secondary. I mean, you, you have to be fulfilled as a person. You have to follow your dreams. You have to live your life every day or else it's a miserable existence. And somehow you find time to do all that. And you're president of the chamber for Phoenix chapter of the, um, not chamber, Phoenix chapter of the ASA association, you were president. Yes. So I, I did a run, you know, with the, the Phoenix chapter. Um, there's so many things that led up to that, but, and then now I, I do work with the mechanic ops committees. And Such the a nas- great that's national, right? Talented. That's national, you know, and, you know, we sort of helped some of the heavy lifting for the, the actual board. But prior to that, you know, before we get in all that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of sections. Oh, I that know. I, and I just, I, I'm like blown away though, because in between all of this and the story you're going to keep telling, you're, you're also a speaker. You are a moderator for many panels in the automotive industry. You're, you're an author. I mean, it's like, holy cow. So when people say there's not enough time in the day, I want them to be laser focused on what <laughs> you're saying right now. Well, I'm a, you know, time management is critical. Like, and I, and I think the last two letters of time is M E is it? Yes, it, it is. is. I like that. That's catchy. So I am, listen, I didn't, I, I just came up with that. It's probably out on the internet, but <laughs> M E is important and we cannot do Jack without be without us being strong as individuals and the M E. So what does that all mean? Like we, we want to help. We want to inspire. We want to, be embedded. A lot of a lot of the great shop owners and and operations across the country. It's what we do. Like we know that's that's like a, we're we're honored and it's a part of our vessel. Like we can give back. But the Emmy and time is huge. And for me, it didn't happen overnight. If I tell you I'm a hundred hour a week guy, it, it's fact. Like I'll give you this example. Before I opened my first garage in 1995, I worked for the dealer as a wrench. And I was getting married. I was, you know, buying a first house. I don't have an Uncle Louie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, I ranched 50 hours in the, in, at, the, at the dealer. And then I did 36-hour weekends as an EKG tech. I tested for Phoenix Fire. You know, those are the years where you're not sure. You know, I tell my young 20-somethings, like, listen, it's okay. Dance a little bit here and there. Do the Macarena, do the waltz, you know, get the dancing out so that you can perfect something that you enjoy. And so with that so said. Wait, EKG tech on yes. top of everything. <laughs> yeah. You are, the, you are the OG for portfolio no, careers. You are no, the no, OG no. of the portfolio career. All right. 30, 36 hour weekends, right? Just so I could like save up a couple bucks for the house and a baby on the way. But I also was was playing the arena, you know, I, you know, with Phoenix Fire and taking EMT, fire scientists, 
So that's why it's important. Our business that we give medical analogies when it comes to underhood repair. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, you just so I see these kids now and I love them to death. And I and I hate that Madison Avenue has labeled everything. I mean, there's some truth to that. We've all sat in those, you know, I did Northwood University's automotive leadership program, and it was a whole day talking about the different demographics and you know how we were to, supposed to design our relationships. But my thing is this, you got to hustle, you got to grind. And I tell a lot of these youngsters now, it's like, what are you doing? 35, 40 hours a week? Well, uh, like, what are you retired? Why are you sleeping? Go. What's that? What is that? Um, Don? Yeah. Don Draper from Mad Men. I love that show. I don't know if you yes. ever watched it, but yeah, yeah. there's that meme of a picture of him sitting and he's got the cigar and the cigar smoke. He's like, oh, you worked 40 hours a week. That's cute. I remember <laughs> when I had cute. my first yeah. part-time yeah. job and I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he's just like, he's so cool. You know, that Don Draper, that uh, character. I mean, I, th- I think it still exists. I mean, we're on the topic of sort of work ethic and everything. A lot of our, you know, year one shop owners, some great technicians that go out and <laughs> get coaching, by the way, uh, it helps because <laughs> uh, you got to learn cash flow. You got to. So like oh, we God, go I in, wish I had a coach when I started like my first garage. Everybody loved Frank because I was cheap. I was there 20 hours a day. My <laughs> my car lot looked like a freaking dealership with like 100 cars. But. Frank was making no money and I missed the first five years of my daughter's life. Like I'm in business, you know, mm-hmm. but I was 24, I was 25. And, you know, when I say coaching, I'm, I, you know, you got to That's, that's for real. Like that, my business acumen in the ability to make money in this industry. And it was different back then. Like we didn't have, there was maybe one coach, 1.2 coaches in the country. <laughs> it wasn't a thing. Like we read Mitch Schneider articles and that's. Oh my gosh. Do you remember was Saturday morning as TV show? It was like. I mean, you know, um, we didn't have internet as it was. Social media for sure was not even in existence. But my point is, it's okay to embrace every single mistake. I mean, that's part of the deal. But to really not repeat it because shame on us, right? We, part of the problem. And you know, I don't raise my hand. It's part of, as men, this is our problem. I need a drink right now. <laughs> we feel like we can do it all. And, and we have the answers. And it's like, and I realized today there's a lot of great forums, Facebook groups, and there's a lot of weaponry out there for folks to get information, you know. But my point is, if you're going to hustle and grind, man, work harder, work smarter, not harder. I mean, that's why when I share my experience, it's not do what I did. It's like, don't do what I did. <laughs> so, yeah. Just, just crazy. So you, you go and you're, we're at fame high school or at Carnegie hall. We're in the Navy, traveling the world, sailing the seas, seeing everything going on. You get married, you have a new baby. You're like, let me just work 24 hours a day to get my business off the ground. And Uh, then what happened? I mean, how did you get involved in all of these other things and just. Yeah. So in between 95 and 2000, a good solid five years, I, I, I knew enough to grow. I started with a little two bay shop. I had like a fishing tackle box for tools. I mean, <laughs> I, listen, I remember my first paid gig. My wife and I were standing with this little two-bay shop, dilapidated lift, you know, whatever. We just opened the doors and the lady comes in. She's like, do you work on sobs? 
I'm like, oh yeah, me. I work on that, Saab. She says, well, the dealer wants 3,500 or whatever the number was to do a heater core. And I'm like, oh yeah, we can do that. It's like 1,200 bucks. That car was in my shop for a month. <laughs> oh, do you remember those days though when you're starting and you're so desperate? It's almost like name the tune. I could do, what? Eight notes? Yeah. I can do that in four notes. I remember Frank in Arizona doing, you know, horseshoes, right? Were popular. And do you remember when the horseshoe like coat hooks, you know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. would weld them. I was taking that in to help pay the bills because I thought it was helping me pay the bills, not understanding oh how much the welder costs and the big st- the sticks and the electricity. Yeah. Oh yes, I will weld up all these coat racks out of horseshoes and cut them and do yeah. all this stuff for five dollars because yeah. you think in your head it makes sense, right? Five dollars is better than zero dollars. So. Forget uh, that I'm tying up now my technician to do this. It's probably costing me $20. If someone came in with a real job, I, I promised the coat hanger. I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then then you get emotional. Horrible. Artist. The, the emotional artist comes out in you and you're like, oh, I'm saving the world. And this is my beautiful project. And meanwhile, you look at your bank account. And there ain't any ducats in the buckets. <laughs> I, I trust me, I've I've been there, and uh, many many hanging now. You know, one thing about our industry, which is really cool, is those that get it are humble. You know, and 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 they've all come from very humble spaces, and 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 that's what makes the industry great. We're all willing to share that with sort of the next generation or the current generation, but. You know, back in the day, I was very lucky and stupid. <laughs> um, you know, luck and stupidity. I don't know if there's any books on that, but I don't think I have that title in my in my I think library. We should do it's something, pretty big. Kim, lucky and stupid. <laughs> How to define your next failure? I, I would be on the front and the back cover for sure, and probably yeah. hundred pages in between. I, um, you know, I, I knew enough the bones of taking care of people was there just like the ability to make money doing that at that time was not right. So we ended up growing, you know, we went from this two bay to this four bay. I mean, I had a neighbor, if I wasn't there at five in the morning, it was classic automotive complex where everybody's killing each other. It's my business. It's my car. And that's my lug nut. Give it back to me. You know, just stupid <laughs> stuff. And so if I was there at five in the morning, you know, you'd send your cousin and, and where's Frank? I want to see him. I was referred. And then the other guy, he says, oh, I'm Frank. I'll fix your car. Then you call me uh, three. Hey, you jacked up my sister's car. What did you do? <laughs> Just all the nightmares. I had prostitutes sleeping in my cars. I had these little mafia groups, the Vietnamese mafia. I had motorcycle gangs. I was just like, I had a pair of tires I busted. They were, you want to talk about a horseshoe moment? Like I would take anything in. A guy came, he was in a wheelchair. He gets out of his van. He rolls up two tires and he says, Hey, can you bust these two tires? Like I didn't even have a tire machine, but it paid 20 bucks. I'm like, sure. I bust the tires. There's bales of marijuana in this thing. Like, what do you do? (laughs) I'm serious. And so um, it's just just stupid stuff. And but for some reason, and I maybe I can't figure that out today, but I I had an affinity for people. I, I really wanted to help. I just was learning to hone in. It took me way too long, really, to do this. And that's why I say coaching is vital. Like go to your peer group that don't reinvent the wheel. And so after about seven years, I could hear the angels 
<laughs> singing. We sold the place. We actually make it a, we made a profit. So my wife and I were like buku excited. And uh, we went to the emerging market of, of Chandler, Arizona. It was a ton of rooftops. This was in 2002, 2003. And here we are. We're standing in front of this Taj Mahal, this huge brand new shop. And it was like five times as much as rent. <laughs> My wife looks at me. I look at her. She's like, I don't know, honey. This is a lot of money. I think back, <laughs> back in the day, nothing against 30000 a month. A lot, of, a lot of shops may be doing that. But that's about what we were doing. And I'm like, I had no clue of an automotive PL and what rent percentages should be based upon gross sales. And I'm like, well, if I owe them money, I'm still breathing. Life still goes on. Everything should be okay. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so funny though, that you kind of justify. I know my, my first shop, it was a one bay little metal building that they used to sell chicken out of. And there was a broken down gas pump in the front. It was on the corridor going into Dallas, Arizona. And wow, I think the rent was $500 a month. And I was like, how am I going to pay that? And then I was like, Oh, I think I, I think the going rate was $20 for an oil service back then. And I'm like, if I do one oil service a day, I can, I I can kill this. And if I can't do one oil service a day at my shop, I don't have any business being in business. Well, boy. And then the tax people came and said, oh, that sign, you have to pay tax on it. Oh, this adding machine and this counter you built, you have to pay tax and uniforms and, you know, Mitchell, do you remember Mitchell manuals, like $200 a book? And you, oh my gosh. Yeah, can you imagine I the the all the wisdom I had in my young 20s? One oil service a day. That's all I needed. And I could be cheaper than everybody else. I could pay my people better than everybody else and all the things. You know, you mentioned about the people part of it, and it took a while to figure out what is it about business owners that they feel like if they want to be nice to people, they can't charge them, right? Because that's really what you have to learn part of it. I mean, you have to learn about PLs and profit margins and all of that. But I think the biggest hurdle that I see is if you want to be a people person, it's in people's head that they can't charge. Like I can't charge for that because I want to be nice to people. Well, listen, it's, this is the gig. It's in our head. Uh, some of us believe as a basic tenant, because we're all consumers. Okay. When we open a business, a great part of that business model is to be competitive. <laughs> so it's a natural, although not truly healthy, long-term practice where I did it back in 95. I was trying to, okay, labor rate, that's a thing. Like, what do I charge? And I that guy up here at 68, that one, you know, and you start doing that bellwether of what the you should Oreo be charging. Method. You, you have just no be that. concept yeah. of fixed expenses, variable expenses, GPs, and all. I mean, we can go on and on, but what I say is accept it. It's like the group hug that you have an addiction to cheap. Raise your hand. I'm cheap. Admit it. And then just raise your dang labor rate. I mean, so it was in my head for years that, oh, no, I can't do that. I mean, you have to design your business with the very first thing. How much do I want to make from this business? Reverse engineer it. And so, you know, for a lot of us that you know, didn't get that concept. We knew, okay, it was just good enough. I'm going to be everything to everybody. And 
I'm going to smile. I'm going to look gonna at people. You're going to be a sob specialist, me. a sob right, specialist. Right, a sob specialist. Or I'm going to do one oil change every other day and cut my, you know, I'll make money. It, it just doesn't work. So there is no holy grail. We all want to be fair. But fair is by way of your worth regarding value. Now, you want to be a $200 an hour shop, you better bring some value to the game. And that's, call it what you wish, but the more value you provide, the more you charge. Why is there a luxury market right now that exists? Like I can go, the big thing now is in the mineral game, right? Like I can go buy a geode piece of furniture to sit my, my fanny on and, and look good because it's geode, it's million years old. <laughs> like people are buying this stuff up. What's the value there? I mean, you can study on it on and on, but the basic principle for just an average shop owner is you got to design your business to sustain people, pay, getting paid well, a little bit of money to go to the community. I think every business owes it to their communities to, to give back, whether, hey, if it's not financial, it's time. What are we committing in the, the time to make our communities better? We owe that. Like, we can't just receive that. So how does that look? If I want to pay a technician 100K a year and I have X amount of hours coming into the shop or you know, I'd like to give myself a raise because my kid now needs 40 grand or whatever for this, do it, raise the rate, you know? And, and so in my mind, I was in my own dang way for years and I, I suffered, man. Like it suffered. Come on, man. Like you're up midnight figuring out how you're going to pay your electric bill. Why are we suffering? I say this carefully and jovially. If we follow the rate of inflation, like bread, milk, raisins, and everything, we should be charging three hundred an hour. <laughs> yep, for sure, for sure. So yeah, it's a, it's. A, I think we're just in our heads, Kim, and I think uh, I, I don't think we design properly. You know, a lot of us are technicians, and we get it. Like we, it's not the technicians, I believe, that are. are you know, you hear about the consumer saying technicians rip the industry off. No, no, no. It's the aluminum siding salesman on the counter. Technicians, by the very work they do, they have to be A, B, C, D. Like you skip a step on an engine install, it's a problem. So the method of A, B, C, D, and E must be included in how you design your business for profitability, for time, for a, a culture that uh, allows you to be gone and not feel guilty, all of those things. So yeah, I mean, labor rate is a big deal. It is, people have to get out of their way because it is harder and harder to attract good people. You know, we're, a lot of shops are doing a fantastic job retaining them and really building up their culture and doing amazing things, but you still have to attract people and they're, you know, gotta get out of their head of how much they're charging because for some reason, everybody that walks in is like, I can't pay them that. You absolutely can pay them that. You have to adjust your yep. labor rate and your other costs in to go with that. But they're going to need to do it because people are not coming in and going to bust their ass anymore for 12 bucks an hour or whatever. Some of these, well, and you I, know, I entry think... level, they can, go to, they can go to Carl's Jr. for 18 or $20 an hour and work in the air conditioning, right? And so- you're not going to so get true. a kid off yeah. the street to come in and bust tires or that you can grow your own and start them yeah. know, under 20 something an hour. Like, why would they do it? So I think we could do, I don't know how many podcasts, right. With all of the decades with you, but one of the things I want to talk about quick, because it's so important 
is, is health because anybody that watches you, follows you, sees you at SEMA, sees you anywhere, you are a ball of fire. You are a ball of energy. You're hiking, you're jumping out of place. You're, I mean, you look like <laughs> the epitome of health and good eating and, and all of that. And, and you had a, a quintuple, quintuple bypass. Is that I've like, haven't even ever heard of somebody having that before you. It took me a month just to learn how to pronounce it, honestly. Um, like you hear quadruples, but so I'll yeah. tell you the story. I'll tell you the story because in life, every day is a new day also includes some of the trials and tribulations and more importantly, how we handle that. When you say I hike, I ocean swim, I'm up tempo, all those things are true. Never thought there was a problem. I go to SEMA Apex in 2019, and this is the straight and skinny of it. I, I, some of you listening now, I've shared the story with you. So what I noticed at Apex was this phenomenon with all the Asians hanging out over here. And I'm like, okay, I want to get to know those folks in Malaysia. I want to get to know those folks in Wuhan. A lot of our manufacturing comes from that part of the world. And so I did. I spent a half a day hanging out. I get back, long story short, you know, doing the whole Apex thing and a bit of SEMA. I get back in like November, December. I'm like, I had the flu on steroids. I mean, I was sick. Now, going back in time, I think I had COVID when COVID wasn't a thing. A lot of you can, you read the stories. Well, COVID had been around a little earlier than what we supposedly I absolutely people now I know people that were so deathly ill with a horrific flu type thing months before I was just sick and so my wife's like come on let's go because you know I'm not going to the doctor give me some vitamins you know how we because you're a man man you don't have to (laughs) man child right here man child (laughs) and so went to the went to the doc and and all this stuff and they they said well so this, this came to January because I started like home treating and I wasn't getting better. It was like two, three weeks, you know, body aches, muscle, all this stuff. Couldn't breathe, right? Breathing was an issue. And so I ended up in January, right when this COVID nightmare was sort of announced, maybe denied, who knows, whatever. But I went to the doc and they said, you have Corona. I'm like, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> Yeah, like, and so they said, okay, you know, we can treat it. Here's this. But while we were checking you out, we noticed some things with your heart. I'm like, okay. So I went home with the meds and, and that night I could not breathe. I was breathing like out of a small Turkish cup or espresso. I mean, I was just had no volume of air. And my wife said, no, we got to go. So I ended up at the heart hospital, three days later, I had quintuple heart bypass. I had 200% plug, third was 90, fourth, 60, and the fifth, you're not born with five. It was growing to compensate. You want to talk about God's work, Angel? Like, I was given such a chance, I should have dropped dead at any moment. These are widow makers, and so I don't want to preach, but I, I do mention in my circles and as I travel across the country doing what I do, everyone, including us stubborn men, get your <laughs> dang, get your echoes done, man, because it's so preventative. Had I not gotten sick, Kim, that's all she wrote, you know, and so, but that's the story there. I recovered. I uh, 
So I was down. I was very lucky because remember elective surgeries, they were put on hold and it was like three days before they announced my surgery was February. Forgive me for the timeline, February, like 28th. And then like, you know, the whole month of March, I was down and I was back running and gunning in April. It's funny. My cardiologist is like this old classic GTO. I was like, you, you take care of my engine. I will take care of your engine. <laughs> but he was a godsend. And, and I just, I just say, I have changed some things. You know, um, I used to be the guy up at two in the morning. I, the kids would go to sleep about whatever, nine families down and I'm working till two in the morning, writing or whatever. I don't do that anymore. Like you, you really got to take it easy. Um, so, but yeah, that's, uh, that's me corazón. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, crazy to think that if you didn't get the virus, whatever it was in Corona, you, you possibly wouldn't have made it, that that That's turned out to be down. a blessing for you. I mean, we all have our, our sad stories of good friends that, you know, it's just, so I'm, I'm very fortunate, very grateful. You know, they told me afterwards, I got to have like a fruit salad diet. I'm still struggling. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so I'm still trying to get better. Nobody but. growing up in New York lives on fruit salads. That's, That's just crazy. Not a, <laughs> I'm addicted. I'm addicted to dough. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that just yeah. wasn't in the, I don't, I don't think I saw a piece of fruit until I was 20 or something. There, there was, yeah. there was yeah. enough fruit at dinner. That's for dang sure. It wasn't yes. any of that. Absolutely. Crazy crazy. Well, I know you're super busy and you were hot in the editing room today and took some time out for me. And I would love to have you back to talk about more things. And I was so excited. I don't think I said your name in the beginning of it. So um, I will get that edited in, but it's Frank Lloyd's for anybody that didn't figure out who it was. And I'll make sure that that's in there. But uh, Kim, this isn't Oprah. This is how we roll. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it is how we roll. It is how we roll. So, and uh, you and I have very similar, I think, personalities for, yes. for just. And, and I'm honored to spend some time. It is Please what it is. Out. You know, we anybody, are who we are. <laughs> anybody hanging with us right now, you, you've caught this uh, obviously on the replay. Trust that journey, man, every day. Don't ever forget your business, the heart and soul of it. And if I can help in any way, Kim, reach out. You know, we do we do a lot of collaborations. There's a ton of things that we still need to work on in the industry and still help out. And so we sure do. I'm inspired. So thank you, Miss Kim. Yeah, I've been on the octane, you know, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so see, we you know, I I think people don't realize how much we care about giving back and the, the, the pains and struggles, you know, people ask like, why are you adding this on top of everything else you're doing? Why does Frank add this all on? We struggled so hard. We made life so much harder for ourselves. It's like, if I can help one person take one minute of any of the dumb things I did over the years away, right. Before, before we learned and evolved and it's, it's just, incredible incredible so I, I thank you for everything that you do for our industry and you all of well. it and, and you and the uh, whole ati tribe i know a ton of great operators that are part of the ati tribe you guys are doing an amazing job and uh so honored to hang let's uh let's do this again perfect fantastic well thank you everybody see you next week bye-bye stay safe everybody make good choices and stay inspired bye-bye take care Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. 
And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. Thank you.